Well, what is, uh, what's $3 buy you these days? I mean, uh, $3 will get you a bunch of bananas. Yeah, last month, it would have got you a gallon of gas. Uh, it's cheaper now, right? Package of light bulbs, maybe a little bit more than 3 bucks at Home Depot these days. $3 will get you eight lawn leaf bags, I found out yesterday. Um, a cheap movie for 3 bucks, you can get about a third of the way through it before you got to get up and leave. Uh, calculated uh, $3 of a professional massage will get you on the table for about three and a half minutes. So, you know, you might want to shake that off and just keep on moving. Uh, $3 worth of a Game 7 Royals World Series ticket, the average ticket, will get you to sit down for about 2.8 minutes before you got to go. And if you're in the crown seats, you're down to 18 and a half seconds. So drink up. Uh, you're not going to be there very long for $10,500 a seat. So what about $3 worth of church? What does $3 worth of church get you these days? If you tithe 10% and attended 50 Sundays around here, three bucks worth of church came to just under three minutes of church for the year. $3 will buy you about three minutes. It's about a buck a minute. All said, $3 doesn't get you very much these days, does it? This is important because uh, New Testament scholar Dr. Donald A. Carson begins his commentary on his book on Philippians with this paragraph, which I'm going to put up on the screen and read to you. I'd like to buy $3 worth of gospel, please, Carson says. Not too much, just enough to make me happy. Not so much that I get addicted I don't want so much gospel that I hate covetousness and lust. I don't want to start loving those I don't like. I don't want to become a missionary or invade someone else's space. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people. But I myself don't want to love those of different races, especially if they smell. I want just enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I'd like about $3 worth of gospel, please. From the moment I first read these words years ago, sitting in a cabin on retreat studying in front of a blazing fire, I felt a fiery blast from Carson's words. I felt that sarcastic tone that said, I'd like to buy $3 worth of gospel, please. And as I picked up the Bible and read Paul's letters to the Philippians, a church a lot like ours probably 2,000 years ago, vibrant, had to go to work every day, trying to raise their kids, make ends meet. As I read that, my heart pounded faster and my face went flush. And I ask myself, am I about a $3 gospel person? And then, as a pastor, I asked even the heavier question. So, is Lakeland, has it slipped into being about a $3 gospel church? We don't really want to, you know, get too fanatical. Just three bucks worth. I'd like to buy $3 worth, please. You know, any church can easily slip into being about a $3 gospel church. You can lose vision, you can lose momentum, you can lose all of your power, 
and you can just go through the motions and drift along and check the box off every week and say, well, did the church thing, I think I'm good. But, but that's not what we find in Paul's letters to the Philippians. That's not what we find in, in the, the letters that we find in the New Testament. Here we are on the very last Sunday of the church calendar year, if you didn't know it. It's called Christ the King Sunday. And next week begins this, the Christmas season, and it begins Advent, where we start the whole year over again, right? With the birth of Jesus, and then we go to the cross, and then we the resurrection, and then the book of Acts and the life of the church. And here we are. There's 34 weeks of what's called ordinary time kind of a peculiar name since it's actually anything but ordinary in the early church. And here we are at the very end of it, ready to start all over. And we have to ask ourselves on this day, am I following the king? Or am I just a three-buck kind of Christian? Am I serious about this whole thing? So for the next few minutes, give or take, you know, a few dollars worth of church here, uh, I want to try and encourage us to say go for it, to do something better. Now, the last couple of months, we've been doing this emotionally healthy stuff around here. <laughs> and uh, I talked to uh, Craig Babb, Dr., Reverend Dr. Craig Babb, who spoke here last week, and we were talking about this this week, and we were both chuckling because we began to realize that, you know, we're not really sure emotionally healthy people are, make the best Christians. <laughs> um, so for all this talk about being emotionally healthy, we're like, you know what? You know who really changes the world? Messed up people. I mean, people with baggage and crazy. Is The Apostle Paul, is this guy sane? I don't think so. Is Mother Teresa safe? No way. I heard she was hell on wheels, by the way. Yeah, we all think she's this cute little thing, you know, going around Calcutta, taking care of Calcutta, taking care of lepers. I heard she would she could burn a hole through you just with her eyes. <laughs> Do safe people get the gospel done? No. Messy people get things done. And so here we run into the Apostle Paul right here in the very beginning of his letter to a church a lot like us. And Paul is in prison and he says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard where he's being held prison. There's 9,000 soldiers in there. Through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have, encouraged, have been encouraged to speak the word of God even more courageously and fearlessly. Chains, everyone, right here. This is our model. This is what you're looking forward to. Does this look emotionally healthy? No. These few verses of Paul's situation, I am in chains for Christ. He is in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, namely that Jesus was the savior of the world, that he was crucified unjustly, and that three days later he rose from the dead and told everyone else to go out and tell everyone about it and become the new people of God in the name of Christ. Paul says, instead, instead of what this whole thing dying off, because, you know, that's what the Pharisees and everybody who put Jesus to death, they said, look, if you cut the head off, the rest of it dies. That was the strategy. Kill Jesus, and these people will stop rebel rousing, and we can get on with business as usual. Instead, he rose three days later, and suddenly the thing takes off like wildfire. And Paul is even taken to the next level, and he's saying, because I'm in prison, the gospel goes forward. Because Jesus died, the world changes. 
in the face of persecution, incarceration, and even torture and death, followers of Jesus Christ change the world. That is not emotionally healthy. Not in a classic sense, the way psychologists tell us. Jesus wins. That's the inspiration. Jesus conquers death. That's our drive. That's why we have something to talk about. Here's Paul, and he's saying, you know what? If they put me to death tonight, if they slay me with the sword, I'm okay with that because I've seen Jesus alive after I saw him dead. And I know Jesus wins. So I'm okay being killed. If I live till tomorrow, well, that's fine too because I get to go out and share what's happened and that death is dead and that Jesus is king, and I get to do that. It's gain. Either way, win-win, Paul thinks. You read the history of the early church and the Acts of the Apostles, and you're going to see Paul getting to tell his story. Because of these chains, because of these chains, he gets to talk to two Roman officials, two governors. He gets to talk to King Herod Agrippa, not the original Herod from, you know, Bethlehem and all that sort of thing, as uh, one of his sons who actually, you know, fortunately got to live. He gets to go on. His plan is to go to Caesar, stand before Caesar himself, and talk to him about Jesus. History doesn't tell us if he ever got to Caesar. Tradition says he did, and that he was killed in Rome. Did he stand before Caesar? Did he possibly stand about that time? Because it would take a couple of years for him to get from Antioch over in the Middle East all the way to Rome by uh, ship and so forth. Did he actually get to stand before Nero, crazy Nero? Did he, did he get to stand even before even crazier Caligula? You know, Nero who would light his enemies on fire and put them on stakes for a garden party? And Caligula, Caligula, even crazier, who living out sort of a Roman myth, you know, one of the God myths that he actually was supposed to devour his own child, which he tried. I don't think Paul made it past that. I don't think he got to Spain like he was thinking to do. But I do believe that he got to stand before Caesar. And a little background here goes a long way. And he got to stand before Caesar, and on Caesar's coinage, it said, most of them had it on there in some various form. It said on one side, it said, high priest of, of heaven. And on the other side, it said, son of God. Roman gods, right? And Paul's dream is to go and stand before the Caesar who thinks he's the son of God and the high priest and say, you are not the son of God and you are not the high priest. Jesus Christ is. And scholars would tend to think that when Paul thought he was going to say that, that it would, you know, turn the whole world over in that moment. Bringing down the powers and changing the world. I think he actually got to say it, in my opinion. But I think he ended up dying for it. So what about us? What's our passion? What's driving us? What, what overpowering vision drives your life? What is your one thing, everyone? What captures your heart so forcefully that you say, I don't know whether it's better to live or die because i got to get this one thing done. If I live tomorrow, I'm doing this one thing. It's amazing what people become compassionate about. I mean, people you know, will chain themselves to trees up in the mountains to save a spotted owl. Nothing against spotted owls. Love spotted owls, okay? Lumber company, thanks, guys. But, you know, 
People get passionate. People will strap bombs to themselves and blow themselves up in some obscure village over in the Middle East. People will do crazy things when they're passionate about something, even if their cause is highly debatable. And then every normal, everyday normal people, they have all kinds of passions, right? People have passions for golfing and fishing and sports and Xbox and PlayStation. You know, I remember watching a documentary on Michael Jackson uh, a few years ago. And uh, this woman just came unglued. She came unhinged because she was going to get to hug Michael Jackson. You would have thought that in hugging Michael Jackson, she had just met her life-saving organ transplant donor. She, the tears and the snot and everything was, I mean, it was, she was a puddle at his feet. And Michael Jackson, by the way, the camera just kept moving. He's like, hi, and just kind of kept on moving. I mean, Michael Jackson and I, you know, same age. So I kind of grew up with him, love his music, play it in the car. But uh, really? A puddle? Don't be fooled, everyone. The authentic follower of Jesus Christ, life is all about one thing. It is about being the next Jesus that someone will see. The gospel did not come to you as a dead end. The gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. It is always about the next person. This is not about some cheesy or corny gospel presentation where you get a clipboard and say, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? Or some ABC thing, you know, or, or some other little gimmick. This is about you being the most authentic human being you can be in the name of Jesus Christ. This is about you being a radical being about the one thing that is most important, the proclamation of Jesus' love to other people. That's what we're supposed to be about. Years ago when I was in the marketplace and uh, in the working world, worked out on College Boulevard and so forth doing marketing uh, for a tra transportation company. And, uh, but it, after work, I would go hang out. I'd do this thing called Young Life, which was a ministry to high school kids. And my high school where I uh, lived by and worked towards was Shiny Mission East. So my kids went to, to where well, a lot of them lived in Mission Hills. I got to see some really cool houses, by the way. Um, you know, because those poor oppressed kids needed Jesus over there because they're so suffering. And um, so, you know, it worked for me. And, um, but every few weeks, I would hear from a kid like, hey, I can't go to the lock-in. I can't go to the Thursday night thing. And I thought, well, yeah, they got busy schedules. But it wasn't because of busy schedules. It was because their parents were saying to them, you're doing too much Jesus stuff. And we all know that you don't want to be a fanatic, just a fan. So if you go to church on Sundays, that's great. But don't dress up like some sort of Raiders fan, okay, for Jesus. Don't go over the top. Just $3 worth of gospel, please. That's all I really need. Just $3. I'd like to buy $3 worth of gospel, not too much, just enough, just enough to make me happy. Not so much that I get addicted, that I have to start loving those that I really don't like. I don't want to become a missionary or invade someone else's space. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want, I want transcendency, not transformation. I want just enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving greatly enlarged. I'd like about $3 worth of gospel, please. You know, these days, Lakeland 
has owned up to these chains of Paul more and more. And each and every year, each and every year, after 18 years, we get more and more intense about this. I don't think we're drifting into a $3, you know, gospel church. I think the price is actually getting higher and higher. And in some ways, it's not very attractive. It's a little crazy. You know what I mean? It looks a little nutty when you begin to get really, really serious about this, and it'll be a little bit questionable. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're like offensive weird. We hopefully think it's attractive weird. And there is a difference. Yes? That you're a loving person, that you're a caring person, and a compassionate person. And somebody says, well, I don't really want to be a Christian, but if I were going to be a Christian, I want to look like you. As opposed to coming in tomorrow morning at work and people say, well, what'd you do this weekend? Yeah, 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 no game on, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, well, I went to church. And, they're, and in the back of their mind, they're thinking like, you? You go to church? You're a church person? I'm like, well, good luck with that because you need it. You know what I mean? I mean, if they come in like that, like, you, you, that's a fail. That's a, that's a non-starter right there. Something in your gospel presentation is a bad gospel. It's cranky, it's angry, it's, 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 it's grubby, or it's complaining, it's judgmental, something's wrong with it. Instead, when you go into work and, and people found out that, that you're at church, there ought to be like, oh, 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 a religious person. Well, that makes sense. That's why they don't cheat and lie and do all the kind of, you know, they don't sell vaporware and, you know, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then, you know, you begin to tell them stuff like, yeah, yeah, we had this uh, woman in from uh, Juarez, Mexico, and APRA, you know, and they're down there feeding people, and our church participates in that. And, you know, we raised about 1.3 million bucks to do this sort of thing. What a, three, one point, what a, you know? Like, people are crazy. Like, yeah, yeah, we are. Get used to it. And you ought to be one, too. Chains, everyone. You ought to be doing this too. The one thing. The one thing that Paul was passionate about. The one thing that, that all of the early church was passionate about. This is our opportunity. When I, I've sat with a Chinese pastor, Pastor Rich Gao, and I remember this back in 2006, and he said this to me. He said, well, there are those who go to China and preach the gospel, and then there are those who fund the gospel. And I thought, well, I'm not real good at Chinese. Matter of fact, pretty much Zippo. And I knew then I only had one option. We should fund it. That, that year, in 2006, this church just put together, we needed a few thousand dollars to help uh, uh, build a uh, school for some kids out in the middle of the mountains in China, these Christians. And we needed like about $10,000 for that. And we raised 30000 I thought, that's like putting your money where your mouth is. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know what's going to go, around, go on around here for the next month or so, but when you get Estella, and this is the first I heard about this this morning, you get Estella up here saying like, hey, somebody just coughed up some money and we bought this property, you know, and people are going to hang out there and become like a community center and we're going to build a dormitory for ourselves, which sounds a little self-indulgent, but hey, you know, it's better than imposing upon Estella and sleeping on her sofa. So, you know, that'd be good. And then we can go down there and we can find out and then you actually get to know somebody in, in a, one of the poorest places in the world and that a few years ago was the most violent city on the planet. And you can go down there. You become some kind of a dangerous person. And your life will follow your giving. I guarantee it. Your life will follow what you donate to. I have yet to see anybody go someplace, including me, 
to some dangerous place in the sake of the gospel who doesn't come back a radically changed person. Their first response is, I'm just going to be silent. I can't even tell you what happened. I've been followed by police officers around China, and all you can do is smirk. Like, well, this may be it. I've missed being arrested just by a few minutes over there. And it begins to change you. He's like, hey, I'm kind of living on the edge now. Got the, you know, living the Viva Loca now, right? That was Spanish for you, Estella. So. <laughs> what does the Apostle Paul want us to do here? It's very simple. Hand of the plow, eyes on Jesus, no turning back. Press forward as we end this gospel year and we look forward to a new year and we have so much to do. So much to do. There are so many people that are living in chains and as Christians, we can only respond to it. Feeding families, schooling orphans, supporting illegal churches, rescuing women from sexual slavery, surgeries for damaged women over in Africa, home ownership in our inner city that people have homes and be a homeowner there, contribute to society. All of this reaches its logical conclusion in Paul's message that our vision must be fearless. Anything else, anything else, I'm just going to say it, is really not following Jesus. It's all or nothing. That's what we come to. Now, this gets traction for us here for the next, this week. This is probably, I think this is one of the most important weeks of the year. Okay, I don't say that all the time. Actually, I don't know if I've ever said that. So I'm saying it now because we're moving towards Advent season. Tomorrow night it's hanging in the greens. It's kind of an open house party thing. Bring your power tools, uh, some band-aids, and we're going to have a good time. We're going to hang a bunch of Christmas lights and climb on ladders and do a bunch of other stuff that OSHA wouldn't like, and it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, and I, I know what you're thinking. Like, yeah, I'm going to come do that. It sounds great. Maybe there'll be some hot chocolate or something. I doubt it, but hey, bring it if you want to. And... Um, and we're all going to come and have a good time. We're going to decorate this place to the nines. And then you think like, so that guy who's sitting behind me right now, he can bring his friend. And it'll look really cool. New, no. you bring your friend. Not the guy behind you right now. Okay? Go the whole step. Who would you like to invite into the Advent season? And as Garrett said, and you know, Garrett, he's taking this whole Advent thing to the whole huge level. I mean, he's like the Christmas elf. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and he's just gone hog wild on this deal. And so we, we have these devotional guides that you do on Sunday night around the house. And you can invite people over that don't go to church. And, you know, it's simple. And if they like you, they'll come. If they don't, they won't. You know, and it's pretty straight ahead. And it lasts just a few minutes. And, um, and so gather people in your home. And you'll have to start thinking about this now because if you wait until next Saturday night, no one's going to be able to do it because they're going to be trying to figure out how to conquer Peyton Manning, and it's not going to happen. And so what you got to do is invite them, you know. Man, I don't just mean clean it up, quite Broncos fans. Uh, you know, so, I mean, you know, don't just start cleaning up tomorrow like, oh, good, now i got to get religion so I can invite people to church. Like, you know, you've been making an investment. Now engage them. Tell them what you did this weekend, and then invite them. Cash in on the investment, engage them in some kind of spiritual interaction or encounter, and then invite them. We are going to go 
whole hog. Garrett's going to put on his best game during Advent sermons and so forth. You guys are everybody's going to sit up straight and look good, you know, and we're going to do this Christmas season, and it's your opportunity to shine as a human being and as a Christian. And in your way, you will proclaim the gospel. Okay? And who knows? Who knows? I mean, think about it, guys. Maybe not you. Maybe not some dad. But some guy begins to follow Jesus. And maybe his son goes on, goes on to be the next Martin Luther King Jr., the next Mother Teresa, the next Billy Graham. Maybe somebody. Because you in your faith right now, can be traced all the way back to the Apostle Paul because somebody gossiped the gospel over a wash basin or over a mower or over a carpenter's hammer, and it came to you. It's gone through them and come to you, and it's going to go through you to somebody else. Don't stop the message. It's that important. So let's pull out all the stops and lean into Christmas. It is a wonderful season. And it'll mean so much on that Christmas Eve when we all gather in here and we sing Silent Night and we light our candles. And maybe one of your neighbor's friends or family will be with you. That's a good feeling. Would you stand with me, please? And we will send ourselves out uh, with the Celtic blessing. So join me in this, please. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you. Wherever he may send you, may he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.